Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, as you can see from our newly and nicely decorated sanctuary, it is time for Christmas. Our ladies spent a lot of time and energy getting this ready this week, and we are grateful for their uh, service. Thanksgiving is now behind us, and the calendar has turned to the month of December, so I am officially giving you permission to start listening to Christmas music, to start decorating your homes, and buying gifts, all three of which you were probably doing long before I gave you permission. Now, one of the overriding emotions and experiences of Christmas is joy. Though I recognize, of course, that this is not true of everyone. After all, the holiday season is difficult for some people, especially those who are alone or have recently lost loved ones. But overall, the idea is joyful. We sing about it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We decorate with bright lights as an expression of joy and as a means of bringing us further joy. There is just something about bright lights on a dark night that lifts our spirit. We find joy in getting together with friends and family over a meal that is unhurried and satisfying. We express our joy by giving and receiving of gifts. And certainly, as long as we don't forget about the reason for the season in the midst of all of our busyness, we find joy in the story for which we celebrate. And by that, I do not just mean the story of Bethlehem, but I'm talking about Jesus himself, what he came to do and who he is. By that, I simply am talking about our salvation. Many will join us in celebrating Christmas, either in our homes or around the world, who in reality have no idea what Christmas is all about. They will think they do, but the truth of the matter is, it is just another party, albeit with a religious theme. Now, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and that is I'm going to read the last verse of the section we are dealing with this morning. So go ahead and be finding John chapter 15, but I'm going to read the last verse that we're going to deal with before I return in just a few moments and read the rest of these verses. John 15 and verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And yet you may be sitting here this morning, thinking to yourself, where is my joy? Where has the joy of my salvation gone? David prayed on one occasion, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And your cry might be similar. We know the Bible speaks often and freely about the joy that accompanies salvation. The majority of us would claim and believe that we are indeed saved. And yet we do not have this kind of joy on a regular or consistent basis. 
Instead, many of our lives are like roller coasters, up one moment and down the next. The question becomes, is it possible to have joy, not just during the Christmas season, but is it possible to have joy throughout our lives? I believe it is. And I believe we're going to find the secret to that, if you want to call it that, in the text we are looking at this morning. In our text, there is going to be one word that is repeated multiple times. It is the word abide. Some of your translations may use the word remain. The psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy. There is a popular song, though it is secular at this time of year, and that popular song is, I'll be home for Christmas. It was originally recorded by Bing Crosby, but since then has been a hit for several other prominent singers. So my question to you this morning is, will you be home for Christmas? Now, surely you realize that I'm not asking about your travel plans. I'm not asking about whether you're going to stay home this year or whether you're going to travel to your childhood home for the holidays. But my title is Home for Christmas, and I want to explain to you as we move forward what I mean by that. So let's look at John 15, the first 11 verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is, of course, the last of our I am statements in this series. So let me briefly recap where we've been. We started in John chapter eight, which is not traditionally one of the I am statements, but I always include it because I think it is the most important one. And that is where Jesus simply says, before Abraham was, I am. There's no picture there. It is not qualified in any way as the other seven are. He simply says, I am. And then we heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So today we finish up, it's stated twice, it's there in the first verse, and it is repeated in the fifth verse, where Jesus says, I am the vine. But in this case, there are several additions. That is, he goes on to say, and my father is the vine dresser, and then he says to us, you are the branches. And the branches, of course, must stay connected to the vine. The word abide that is so common in this passage is a word that used to be used to refer to the place in which we lived, the place we stayed. Now it's probably more frequently used to talk about obedience, that is, I must abide by the law. But I'm using the word in that older sense to talk about the place in which we dwell, thus my title, Home for Christmas. So I'm using that word home as a way of saying abide, and I'm asking us, are we going to be with Jesus this Christmas? And certainly not just this Christmas, but throughout our lives. That ought to be our desire. In his presence, we've already heard, is fullness of joy. It ought to be our desire to be in the presence of God both now and forever. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means we must commune with him. It means we are committed to being with him. It means that that is our priority, and we'll talk about this more as we go along. But we're going to see five results today of abiding in Christ. Number one, we can expect pruning. We are still in the same setting, although we're leaving that, that we were in last week. That is, Jesus has just gone through the Passover supper with his disciples and transformed it into the Lord's Supper. He has just revealed that Judas is going to betray him, and now they are leaving that place. Chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, rise, let us go from here. And so they have gotten up from the table, and they are walking to the garden where the vast majority of the events that are going to occur over the next few hours are going to happen. Again, the disciples do not understand all that is taking place, but Jesus knows what is waiting for him in Gethsemane. And not wanting to waste any of the little bit of time he has left with his disciples, as they are walking to the garden, he is continuing to teach them. In all likelihood, it is probable that as they are walking along, as Jesus so often did, he sees a grapevine. And seeing that grapevine, he uses that as an illustration for this last I am statement, an agricultural metaphor, I am the true vine. Israel had been referred to as a vine in the Old Testament many times. But they had been proven to be fruitless. They had been given every opportunity to produce fruit, but they had failed. Jesus told a parable about a vineyard owner. He was a distant vineyard owner, and he had sent his servant to, to get the fruit that was his due. And the, the farmers killed or beat some of those servants. And finally, Jesus says, the, the owner's going to send his son and when his son comes, they treat him the same way and kill him. And that parable is an illustration of, of how the Israelites had treated the prophets of God and would treat Jesus. And as a result, judgment had come to Israel multiple times and would come again in A.D. 70. 
And so Jesus is now on the scene declaring himself to be the true vine, the one who would not fail, but instead would be faithful to his father. And as a result, it is our responsibility to stay connected to the vine. We are the branches, and the branch must stay connected to the vine if we are to have life. Now, starting with pruning may not be the best way to go about this when we talk about the benefits or the results of abiding in Christ, but it is certainly better than the alternative. The alternative to pruning is to being cut off altogether And our text makes it very clear that this is not the preferable option. Verse 6 has been a particular verse that has been debated and discussed throughout the years, especially as it regards the idea of eternal security or losing one's salvation. So let me just very clearly say that I do not believe Jesus is talking about a believer being cut off and losing his or her salvation because they are not bearing fruit. I believe instead that he is talking about someone who has in many ways connected themselves to Jesus without genuinely being converted. Remember, they've just seen an example of this, right? They've just seen Judas depart from their midst And that is still weighing heavy on their minds. And then if we look at it from a positive side, we know that there are plenty of verses that tell us we cannot lose our salvation. In fact, in this series, we heard Jesus say, I will lose none of my sheep. So he's not contradicting himself here. We have to be very careful when there are pictures or parables or the like that we do not press every point And therefore, he's not talking here about branches being cut off, meaning that believers can lose their salvation. The pruning of grapes is done for several reasons. It is done to select the best wood on the vine so that the older, more feeble wood is cut off to allow the more productive branches to receive the nutrients. Pruning is also done to regulate the amount of buds on each vine. In other words, there are actually some good vines that are, or some good buds, I should say, that are cut off. They are cut off because there are too many of them, and as a result, none of them would grow to maturity, and the entire crop would be too small. But if you get rid of some of the buds, then the rest of the grapes that remain will grow to maturity. Our first church was in upstate South Carolina. And we had several peach growers in our church and in our community. There was peach fields everywhere. And so I learned a little bit about pruning. If if the frost did not kill some of the buds, there was a high-tech way for those peach farmers to get rid of some of the buds on the tree. You know what they did? They took wiffle ball bats and beat the trees. In that way, some of the good buds would fall off leaving the right amount of buds there that could grow to maturity. And they would also spend quite a bit of time during the winter carefully pruning each of those branches. In economic terms, the ability to prune correctly made all the difference in the world between a profit and a loss. Our Heavenly Father is pruning us because of His desire for our sanctification. And so he takes the time to prune away those things in our lives that hinder us from bearing fruit or bearing more fruit. Often these things are particular sins. 
However, that is not always the case. Again, sometimes we need good and even noble things pruned from our lives to make way for the better things so that we can be stronger and healthier. Now, none of us like when this happens. We don't like when the Heavenly Father takes his pruning shears and begins cutting in our lives. Sometimes in the midst of that, we cry out in our pain and we even begin to doubt the love and care of God. But the fact of the matter is, even his pruning is evidence of his love. If he didn't love us, he would just let us grow wild and produce no fruit. But he prunes us so that we can bear more fruit, all done, of course, to his glory. So if we're home for Christmas, if we're abiding in Christ, we can expect, don't necessarily have to like, but we can expect that God is going to do some pruning in our lives. The second thing we notice here is that we are to examine fruit. It is the unmistakable mark of any Christian that they bear fruit. Jesus makes that abundantly clear in this text. But you might say, what about the Christian that does not bear fruit? There's no such thing. Every Christian bears fruit. Now, we might differ in the quality of our fruit, some producing more than others, no doubt. Uh, We might vary in our quality of fruit, But fruit is the mark of every believer. Ten times in this passage, the word abide is found. So I'd say that's a key to understanding all the things we're talking about this morning. So fruit only comes about as we abide in Christ. To abide or to remain means more than just continue to believe. That's part of it, but it goes much deeper than that. It means to continue to live in close association and union with Jesus. We're talking here about an intimate relationship. It is the same verb we actually saw last week in chapter 14 that was translated living. Jesus said in that case, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Again, that's the same word that we find translated abide here. So when I talk about bearing fruit, I'm not talking about manufacturing good works. Rather, we are to allow Christ to live through us by the power of his Holy Spirit, and the good works or the fruit will naturally result. So Christians who abide in Christ wind up abounding in fruit. Now again, what does a branch have to do in order to bear fruit? All the branch has to do is make sure that it stays connected to the vine. It is the vine's responsibility to provide nutrients to the branch. In fact, the vine is responsible for producing the fruit. You hear me saying bear fruit, not produce fruit, because it is God's responsibility to produce the fruit. We simply must abide. And Jesus says it in the clearest of terms, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If the branch does not abide in the vine, it is useless. Now, that does not mean that you and I can literally do nothing apart from Jesus. I mean, those who do not know Christ can have very good and productive lives. Having nothing to do with Jesus, they can do a lot of things. 
Likewise, there are professing Christians who wind up not really being Christians because they're not abiding in Christ, who can do a lot of good things, many of them even religious. That is, they can go to church. They can sing in the Christmas musical. They can serve on committees and give. So what does Jesus mean here when he says you can do nothing? It means we can't produce true fruit to the glory of God. We can do things. We can do many good things. But we cannot do the best things that please God unless we stay home with Christ. Abiding means there is nothing between me and Jesus. It is total dependence upon Christ. I realize that a lot of things pass as fruit, but they don't last. Abiding in Christ produces abundant and lasting fruit. Some of you have fake fruit in your home, even as we do. It's decorations, right? You have a bowl out in the kitchen somewhere with fake fruit. And that fake fruit looks so much like the real thing that we've all done it. We've been in someone else's home and we've touched it when they weren't looking to see if it was real. Likewise, there are many who claim the name of Christ who have much imitation fruit. Fake Christians who try to attach themselves to the Christian life without really abiding in Christ. And while it can fool us, it certainly cannot fool God. So what kind of fruit am I talking about? Well, you need to understand that while all Christians bear fruit, that does not mean that we always bear fruit. There will undoubtedly be times in our lives when we are at a low, when we are not abiding in Christ as we should, that we are not in the moment producing fruit. And as a result, we have to be very careful that we not judge ourselves or others on those short periods of time. Furthermore, your fruit might look different than my fruit, so I have to be very careful that I not judge you on the basis of my standards. That is, if you don't meet the list that I've got in my head of what true fruit is, then you must not be a believer. That's a dangerous path to take. So what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, certainly one kind of fruit is the fruit of a developing Christian character. We think sometimes that fruit is just the things we do, but it's also who we are. God is interested in the character of his children. And you ought to see a difference, a growth in your own character over the years. I mean, isn't this what it's talked about when Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians? The fruit of the Spirit there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Certainly another kind of fruit is right conduct. The development of our character ought to produce a growth in our conduct. As we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow in our desire to please God in all that we do and say. A third kind of fruit, our character and our conduct, but a third kind of fruit involves our testimony, our influence upon other people. You do influence other people in one way or another, whether you realize it or not. And you ought to be influencing them in their walk with God. Sometimes you may not know the good you've done, but over the course of many years, there should be a pattern that develops that you are more mature in your faith and you are helping other people become more mature in their faith. We ought to be praising God with our lips 
in worship, even as we've done this morning. A final kind of fruit that I'll mention, and this is by no means exhaustive, but it would be our giving. We bear fruit when we give of our finances so that others can hear the good news. Whether that's through the general budget of this church or Faith Promise Missions, which is the way we try to fund mission activity through this church, or, or whether it's through the special offering that we've heard mentioned like Lottie Moon, a financial investment in the kingdom of God is part of bearing fruit. And the point of all of that is that fruit bearing must begin as we abide in Christ. The branch that stays connected to the vine will invariably bear fruit in some measure. Now, through the years, I've said on multiple occasions, based on Jesus' statement in John chapter 13 and verse 35, that the definitive mark of a believer, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so I've said repeatedly through the years that that's the definitive mark of a believer that you love one another. I now realize that I'm slightly wrong on that. That's not the definitive mark. After all, loving others is an aspect of bearing fruit. And that will be the discussion moving forward, not for us, but for Jesus and his disciples, if you glance down to the verses that follow. But instead, the mark of a genuine believer is that he or she bears fruit, and loving one another is a kind of fruit. After all, Jesus says, this is the way you prove to be my disciples. Well, in verse 7, we see the next result of staying home for Christmas or abiding in Christ, and it is effective prayer. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Man, we like that, don't we? We like verses like that. I mean, that's encouraging. It reinvigorates our prayer life to read that all we have to do is ask and we will get whatever we want. Maybe the health and wealth gospel is right after all. That all we have to do is put in a request and we're going to get whatever we want. But we know that's simply not true, don't we? Because we have asked and we have prayed and we have not received. And as a result, many of us view verses like this with a healthy bit of skepticism. So how can Jesus say, ask, and you will receive? Well, again, the answer is found in that word, that word, abide. Notice that this is a conditional sentence. That means that if you expect to be able to ask and receive, then you must meet the condition that's spelled out in the first part of the verse, and that condition hinges upon God's word being alive in you and active in us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask and receive. Well, now your mind's racing. Now you've got it figured out. All you have to do is read a chapter of the Bible every day. And then you can ask and receive whatever you want. But this is not a blank check, if you know what a blank check is. I was re-upping my gym membership a few weeks ago, and I was paying in advance by check. And the young man that was processing the payment had to ask me what number on the check was the check number because he had no idea about a check. They don't use them much anymore. But you do, you know what a check is, and this is not a blank check. 
Neither does this mean that we will immediately get whatever we ask for. It simply doesn't work that way. So how can Jesus make this statement then? Well, he can make this statement because as we abide in him, that's key, and as his word abides in us, our desires become his desires. It's not that we can read the Bible and then selfishly ask for whatever we want. Rather, as we immerse ourselves in God's word and abide in him, he begins to transform our lives and our thoughts so that we begin praying for things that are in accordance with his will. And naturally then, those are the kind of prayers that are going to be answered because they are the prayers that God desires. So be careful about taking verses like this out of context as a pretext for your selfish desires. Instead, allow the word of God to transform your life, and in so doing, your prayer life will also be transformed. And you will begin to see your prayers answered because you will be praying in accordance with God's desires. A branch that abides in the vine can ask and receive because there is a unity of thought and purpose. The next result I want to mention is found in verses 9 and 10. Here we see that abiding branches experience love. Love is often discussed and proclaimed, but true love is often elusive. Love and obedience are two sides of the same reality, as we'll see in just a moment. Jesus loves us just as the Father loves him, and what a powerful example that is of love. His love for us is not a fickle kind of love. It is not a sentimental kind of love that comes and goes. His love for us is enduring and true. And as we abide in him, that is the kind of love that we experience. Countless people are looking for love. They think it's found in the models that are established by the world. Or they think it's found in the next relationship that might come along. But for the Christian, we know that the experience of love that we have is with a relationship with Christ, a relationship that in many ways is beyond description. But it can only be experienced by abiding with him. So do not accept any substitutes. Experience the love of God by abiding in the vine, which leads to our last Result, it's not enough to merely experience love, but you must also express obedience. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We often find love to, hard to pinpoint. We can't put a finger on what exactly it is. Do I love her? Do I love him? Do they love me? Do I love God? So oftentimes, our idea of love is a subjective feeling so that we talk about butterflies in our stomach or the inability to get someone out of our head. We're obsessed with thinking about them in our minds. But Jesus takes what is often for us a subjective element and makes it objective. This is how I know if I truly love God if I express my love through obedience. Jesus goes on to say that he obeyed the Father. His whole earthly existence was a model of obedience, and we too must obey. 
but obedience is not some forced servitude. Rather, as we abide in Christ, we have a desire to obey. Many people have a wrong view of Christianity altogether because they think it's just a, a bunch of commands that we have to follow, and we do it through gritted teeth. But in reality, we ought to find joy in obeying our Lord because that is what a branch does. We not only immerse ourselves or abide in the word, but as the word abides in us, we become not just hearers of the word, but doers also. So we've looked at five results this morning of abiding in the true vine who is Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we try to make the Christian life so complicated and confusing, and I understand that in some respects, there is a lot we do not understand. But I believe this passage gives us a very clear responsibility, and that is we are to abide in the vine. We are to learn to be utterly dependent upon the Savior for everything in life, and only as we do this will we find joy. Again, verse 11 Verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so instead of riding that roller coaster of life up and down one moment and then the next, life is not meant to be a joyless existence whereby we just get through another day. We were created and we were redeemed to enjoy a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there won't be troubles. It doesn't mean there won't be heartaches or sufferings, but it does mean that we can find joy in the midst of anything. And that is what the Christian life is meant to be. And the kind of life that brings glory to God. Look again at verse 8 of our text very quickly. I'm almost done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What we've talked about this morning is not one way of living the Christian life. It is the way of living the Christian life. It is the only way of living the Christian life. And that is we stay home, not just for Christmas, but for all of life. Home meaning that we are abiding in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to have a relationship through Christ with God the Father. May we abide in Jesus. May we so desire and delight to be in your presence where we know there is fullness of joy that that becomes our greatest priority. Especially during this Christmas season, may we make it a priority to set aside time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So abide in him. You're dismissed.